0: well greetings everybody welcome once again to the rec poker podcast episode number 111 i'm your host steve fredland and as always we are sponsored by running aces casino and racetrack in columbus near forest lake minnesota and today i've got a special interview with sky matsuhashi who is the founder and host of the smart poker study podcast uh, SmartPokerstudy.com, all kinds of resources for rec- recreational players, uh, and just an all around good dude. So uh, we've been looking to connect for a while and excited we could finally do that. And we actually uh, took some time and interviewed each other. So uh, I will be his guest on the Smart Poker Study podcast that releases a day before the Poker podcast, and then he'll be on mine. So I really enjoyed the conversation. Fantastic conversation. Good guy. I think there's some really cool things that we have in mind to work on together going forward. So certainly I would love uh, your feedback on what you thought of Sky and uh, the value that you think he could bring to your game. Uh, Just a couple of quick things before we get into the interview. Uh, We just had our first play and learn sessions last weekend and just had a blast. Uh, So far, the feedback has been nothing but positive. Everybody wants to do them again. uh, Great opportunity to grow your game. Uh, learning from each other, as well as building community as we sort of form this poker tribe. So uh, we're definitely looking to do those again. Uh, we'll probably do it some weekend in January and kind of see see where that goes. But um, just watch the website, recpokertraining.com. Sign up for the email list. You can do that at the website as well, recpokertraining.com. That way you're in the know when things get scheduled. Uh, one of the key takeaways there is, is I'm going to limit these to only people that can actually play. So... Uh, in the second session, we had a couple of extra people, so we were rotating in and out and that's great. But really, the, the heart of the learning comes from making the decisions yourself, tabling your hands, and then everybody talking about uh, uh, how what what decisions we made and how we made those decisions. And uh, it was a great group uh, filled with humble people uh, who were willing to kind of put themselves out there and learn, uh, learn the game uh, through their transparency. So fantastic time, we'll do that again. As well, we got the holidays coming up. Uh, Still planning on having an episode release every week throughout the holidays, Um, but uh, next week's might be a little bit shorter. We'll kind of see what uh, what we have in store for Christmas break there, and then starting in January, starting on January seventh, we're going to have our open forum night. So you can join the webinar. You can do it just by phone. Uh, 8 to 9 30 p.m central standard time minnesota time uh, you can join we'll have some hands to discuss we'll have some q a uh, some topics but it's just going to be a chance to build community and learn the game together and kind of bring up whatever's on your mind um, that way so we'll see how that goes so if you want to do that uh, i am asking people to sign up just so they get registered for the for the session it's free of charge but go to recpokertraining.com under learning options there's uh, you can select community groups, I believe is what I'm calling it, community groups or discussion groups, and you can sign up to get the access to the, uh, to the webinar, and then every week uh, you can be part of that for whenever it works out, for the whole time or part of the time. So please take advantage of that. Okay, so with all of that, obviously there's a lot more going on, but that's all I'll share right now. Uh, with that, uh, why don't we turn it over and uh, join the interview that I did with Sky Matsuhashi. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Rec Poker Podcast. Today, just super fired up. Uh, joining us today, live via Zoom video conference, uh, Sky Matsuhashi. Which I, that is the right pronunciation, right, Sky? Yes, it is. All right, well, <laughs> good. Uh, I got the first thing right. But uh, first of all, just thank you. I mean, thank you for taking the time to be with us. I know a lot of our folks are like, man, if you could get Sky on, that'd be fantastic. So here he is in flesh and blood. Yes, and I really
1: do appreciate it. I mean, you said thank you to me. No, no, no. Thank you for allowing me this opportunity to meet your audience. You know, this is great. I I love doing interviews with other people for my own podcast, but I'll be honest with you. This is my first interview on somebody else's podcast. So thank you for this opportunity. That
0: just, that absolutely cannot be true. Is that a true statement?
1: It is no. yes one I've done I've done two email interviews where somebody emailed me their questions and you know type out my answers and they post them on their on their blog or whatever. I've done two of those my first audio interview
0: right here so thank you. That's crazy to me, because I mean, I I wonder if people are just intimidated. Because you, I mean, honestly, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the show. Uh, you honestly have some great content. You know, you deliver some great stuff, and so I'm surprised people haven't saw you. Oh, but they must be intimidated. See, I'm not intimidated. I'm just like, man, <laughs> if, I just tell my folks if if there's some great content out there, go listen to it. Uh, i know that you know from a content delivery perspective that's not my strength my strength is going to be uh, directing people to the to great content building community that sort of thing so if you have not heard of sky matsuhashi if you don't know of smart study poker if you have ever read any of the books I would highly recommend go check that out. He's a great dude, uh, and, and I think he delivers great content. So anyway, um, there's I won't make you respond to that because you're you're a humble, <laughs> you're a humble guy. I'll just I'll just say nice things about you and then move Thank on. Thank you. But where are you actually located? And our our folks that are watching on YouTube can see. Uh, behind you so kind of where are you located and uh and tell us a little bit about uh i see this kind of a cool drawing back there tell us a little bit about your yeah, that's uh,
1: my attack on titan poster i don't know if you know attack on titan it's just my favorite anime japanese animated cartoon comic book and stuff and you know i just have a fun poster up on the wall i bought it for one of my boys and he didn't want it on his wall so <laughs> i stuck it up on mine might as well you know and that's that is- Oh, where are you? I'm in Fresno, California. Nice, nice. Central Valley. If you don't know where it is, about three hours from Los Angeles, three hours from San Francisco, right in the middle. So we got the beaches close to us. The mountains are just an hour and a half away. Okay, Okay. pretty lovely place, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure it's like, you know, 15 degrees like it is here in Minnesota right now.
1: Oh, give or take 15. Now the high today is probably, I think six. Yeah, yeah. The high today is about 60, 61 or so. So
0: nice. yeah, I,
1: I do not envy your
0: weather. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, it keeps the riffraff like yourself out of here. So <laughs> that's right. That, that's how we justify it. Well, you you mentioned you had your boys. I, I believe you have an 11 year old and a nine year old you had mentioned earlier. Uh, yes. Tell us a little Makes bit about, a about that deal. And you, you mentioned that you're kind of getting into a little poker with them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um so it might have been 3 years ago or so.
1: They've known that I've played poker forever. But 3 years ago I got a new like poker chip set and you know, when you get a new ch- chip set you got to practice it with somebody, right? <laughs> right. So whip it out, start playing with the boys and we started with the what I thought was the simplest no limit them. You know, it's just because you got two cards, you got five on the board, and you bet as those cards come out. Pretty simple. But then we also graduated to uh, five card draw, and they like that a lot. And then we graduated to seven card stud. Um, and then we don't do the high low thing, it's just seven card stud high. Uh, just because I don't know if they're ready for low kind of games and thinking in the opposite of wanting pairs and wanting trips and sets right. and stuff. But, um, uh, so yeah, that's what we do. We occasionally play once or twice a week. Whip out the chips and cards and and play a little bit. They they're learning how to shuffle. Like my oldest especially, learning how to shuffle the deck and manipulate the cards with his hands. Um, but they are terrible bluffers. They love <laughs> bluffing, but they're like you're just just your standard loose aggressive players where they're just they over bluff all the time. So all I have to do is hit some kind of a pair, maybe even like like top pair, decent kicker. And I just call down street by street. And eventually I stack them, you know.
0: So they'll learn the hard way eventually, right? But I suppose that every yes. once in a while when they actually have the hand, they get paid by dad. It feels pretty good, right? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, they do. <laughs> oh, the other night my son took all my chips twice in a row. So we, we don't bet on it. You know, we just pull out chips 20 right. and 20. He took all my chips because he just kept on flopping sets and flopping two <laughs> pairs. And I didn't believe him. Um, although I kind of start believing it because I could see the way he grabs a chip He'll sometimes grab two chips, puts one back, and then bets one because he doesn't want to let me know that he has a good hand, you know? Doesn't but want to scare I'm you. seeing that action, he has a good hand because he wanted to bet two, but he wants to get my money. So he's learning um, how to exploit his aggressive nature to gain chips from me, from my unbelieving nature, you know?
0: <laughs> and it puts you in an ethical dilemma. Do I tell my son about his talent or not? <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, yes, it
1: kind of ethical, but at the same time, I tell him at the end of every hand, you know, Dalen, I knew that you had a strong hand because you grabbed two chips and then, you know, I let him know just so that he can learn from that experience. You know, he still does it over and over again (laughs) because his mind isn't, he's not really, I guess he doesn't fully comprehend it or grasp it yet that his actions, I'm paying attention to them. But I think over time, as I keep explaining to him, he'll pick up on it. By the time he's 12, he'll kick my butt. Every day,
0: I—that's so awesome. I think it'll be fun to see where that where they go with that. I think that's yeah. true of any live game. I think I think one of the people that one of the things that less experienced people do is they don't necessarily think through exactly what they want to do before they start acting. So they act and they're like, "Oh, wait, uh, maybe not." You know, or mm-hmm. maybe that's too much or whatever. So I think that's a great tip for 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 our folks is you know make sure you, you think through what you want to do. You know, do you want to bet one or do you want to bet two chips? Think that mm-hmm. through first, and then make it one. One action versus grabbing two and then putting one back because eventually that does become some sort of a tell. Now, now you mentioned that you play poker forever. Well, you know you're like 12 years old yourself. So uh, (laughs) talk talk a little bit about that. Did you just grow up in a family that played games, or you know when did you get introduced to poker?
1: Well, I say forever, but really it hasn't been that long at all. Um, uh, Well, we played board games forever: Risk and Clue and Life, that kind of stuff. So we played board games forever, but it wasn't until I was uh, like 2002, so I was like 25 years old that I started playing poker. Uh, it, I was introduced to poker through my cousin through his home games. So he had uh, himself, his wife, you know, family members and stuff. We would play little five dollars sit and go tournaments and uh, five dollars sit and goes every round. The blinds went up, and the Good. reason for that was we just wanted to get bam 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 done quick to get right. the next game in because we could get in five or six games in a night. Initially, when we started, we kind of didn't really know what we were doing. We didn't understand the structure. So we would play too long. I would get knocked out the very first person. Then I have to sit on the couch and watch TV for 30 minutes. So eventually we learned that the top two places get paid. But oftentimes when we get down to three players, we'll just chop it so we can start a new game. So nobody's bored, you know.
0: Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah,
1: so since then, 2002, started the the home game realm or home game route. Then I went to the
0: live felt where I played 2-4 Limit. Did you ever play 2-4 Limit? Uh, one time um, oh. after I learned No Limit Hold'em and realized this, uh, this is a whole different game. I can't do it.
1: I gotcha when yeah, I pocket, so
0: when I have pocket Kings I just can't play it eight handed I'm just not a big yeah. fan of that yeah no
1: I understand I feel <laughs> the exact same way that's why I left the limit realm but I played forever two four limit three six limit four eight limit uh and then eventually I found online poker back in two thousand and seven ish and I started on poker stars lost my entire six hundred dollar buy- in sure. before i before I made any um uh uh, bonus. You know how you put in six hundred dollars, okay. you get six hundred dollar bonus money. Made zero bonus, <laughs> but I lost that full six hundred dollars. You know, um, then I went to Ultimate Bet, then back to Poker Stars. Two thousand eleven happened. You know, no more access to online poker. So, but eventually in twenty thirteen, I got back onto it on a couple of sites that still allow me, even though it's technically not legal for us to play. Sites still allow some U.S. players, and so those are the ones I play on.
0: Yep. Okay. And so, so you kinda of went through this, okay, that you got your degenerate cousin introducing poker mm-hmm. to you. <laughs> yep. And then you've got, you know, you you've gone through He's the He's
1: still a degenerate, by the way. Yeah,
0: 100 percent Still a, yeah, 100%, 100%, still you a degenerate. Live stuff, you went to online. Uh, mm-hmm. obviously you must have loved the game. So I'd like to lo- know a little bit more about what was the attraction of it. And then how do you how do you get from being an online grinder, that sort of thing, to now, you know, man, I've got I've got a podcast, I've written books, I'm I'm teaching people what how do you make that connection so I guess tell me what you love about the game and then how did you get you know how, how did that transition for you into uh at least a career or at least in part of a career
1: yeah definitely um uh growing up uh just very competitive played sports every single season fall you know fall winter spring at school um growing up playing sports got into college in college I wasn't an athlete I just went to college for school for an education to get a diploma. And so there was no really competitive outlet for me, you know? Um, and so I, it seems like I was kind of lacking something. And then when my cousin introduced uh, poker to me, that was something that I could start learning. I can get competitive and I can start uh, battling other players, you know, trying to take their chips. So I think that's where I fell in love with the game. Just the fact that I was missing everything competitive uh, or I didn't have any competitive things in my life. And so this took that place, you know, it was really important to me.
0: Okay. And then somehow you got to where you are now. And I guess maybe I I keep interrupting with more questions, but you know, is this your primary source of income is doing the poker stuff? And then, yeah. How did, how did you get here? Yeah, right now it is my primary source of income. Um, Back in 2013,
1: I was working a job. I was in the corporate office at a restaurant chain and I really enjoyed my work, but I realized that, um, I don't know, I didn't want to just work for someone else the rest of my life. I didn't want to be beholden to them for my job to make money. So I started a uh, smart poker study on the side, smartpokerstudy.com. And it was just blog posts and stuff. Uh, and then basically it was, it was, my idea was that I'm going to start something where I teach what I know about poker and we'll see where it goes. That was just yeah. see where it goes. Hopefully it can turn into a business. And then, you know, doing the blog posts and then eventually you know, you see YouTube videos, people coaching on YouTube. I thought I can make videos. So I made my first video. It turned into a second, into a third. The whole time I've been listening to podcasts like Adam Carolla, Comedy Bang Bang, The Nerdist, all that kind of stuff. Love podcasts. So I figured, and I'd listened to a lot of poker podcasts, like the 2 Plus 2 podcast, Thinking Poker, all those different ones out there. And I figured, you know, if they're doing a podcast, a lot of those podcasts were, I guess, Uh interview based where they're just talking to another pro or talking to a coach and and they talk a little bit about strategy here and there But it's more like, you know, how was your trip to vegas this past week or and that kind of stuff And what is life outside of poker? What is it like for a poker pro to live a life? How do you pay for things? How do you earn your money? Whatever And so I didn't want to hear that kind of stuff anymore. It was just kind of boring me. It's always the same, you know so I figured I got to start something of my own, kind of like what you did for with your Rec Poker podcast. Yeah. Uh, you saw where the market was lacking, where your needs weren't being met, and I felt the exact same way. So that's why I started the podcast. And just the fact that I love podcasts in general, you know, went that route. And then since then, since the podcast, my listenership, my audience has been growing. I've done webinars, uh, I've done, I've written three books actually, which blows my mind, I've written a book on poker three now. It just It's just crazy to me that that, that that's happened. But now, um, I'm able to support the family. My wife works as well, so I'm not 100% wage earner, you know, uh, right. but we're working together to support the family. So things are going really well. I'm happy uh, 14, not 14, I'm sorry, four years ago, five years ago that I went with Smart Poker Study and started it.
0: And what was your what was your degree in at school? Or where'd you go to economics. school? Economics, uh, nice.
1: okay. Yeah, UC Irvine, economics degree it was the closest thing that they had to kind of like marketing slash finance degree, not marketing, but finance degree Uh um, or a business degree. And I'll be honest with you. I never did anything with it. Got the economics degree um, after college. Uh, I went to Japan, taught English for a year and a half. I came back here, got a job at a restaurant, and then stayed with that restaurant and moved up the ranks, became a manager, general manager, then worked at a corporate office. So I've never done anything with my degree. You know, well, I'm maybe, one of those.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Oh, oh no, maybe not directly. But I think, you know, you maybe never worked in economics. But I think just the, the getting a college education, you know, learning how to think certain ways, the discipline of studying, all of those sorts of things, I think, you know, factor into who you are and uh, you know, maybe it even helped you decide what you didn't want to do, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm I'm an actuary by trade, so I, I have appreciation for economics majors and and that sort of thing. But yeah, it's an inter- interesting journey. So I, I just love hearing people's stories about, I went to school, here was the plan, economics. Okay, good. Oh, went to Japan, teach English. Oh, Okay, that's interesting. That's good. And I'm sure, you know, come back here, work at a restaurant, what is happening? You know, and I'm sure yeah. that's where your family's like, what is he gonna do? You know, mm-hmm. all these sorts of things. But it's kind of interesting how your journey has brought you to to where you are now. And uh, I just, I just find it fascinating. Uh, yeah. I'd, I'd love to know a little bit more about, um, you know, you and I can talk offline. I want to know more about the business side of it, but just sort of what, now that it's become, you know, poker as, was a hobby, an interest, you know, you share it with your kids and now it's become a business. And I know for a lot of people, uh, whether it's poker or anything else, once something becomes, moves from a hobby to, you know, a job, so to speak, even if you're working for yourself, sometimes you can lose passion for the game and that sort of thing. So talk a little bit about um, how have you sustain the passion for the game uh, and also what is, I guess, the most enjoyable part of having poker be a business for you? Uh,
1: so two things, so the the passion for the game, I don't know, it's just never left me. I've just always enjoyed playing poker. I really like uh, two things. So. I like playing online cause I play in the comfort of my home. I can play while my kids are at school. Like right now I could hop on and play, not have any distractions and play. And I still just really enjoy the competitive aspects of it. Um, but I play cash games because I find that I don't have a lot of time to devote to tournaments but my true joy is tournament poker. I know that's what you do. You're a live tournament poker player. I really love playing live, but I love playing online tournaments as well. I just don't have the time, you know, but the cash games are what's satisfying me right now. I'm still being competitive with that, still working on my game and improving my skills. Um, So I think I just have kind of like a natural love for poker, but I don't have a love for it enough to be a full-time poker pro. I cannot sit for eight hours a day at my computer (laughs) or go to the casino for eight hours five days a week. It's not possible. I've tried it before. Like I took some time off of work back when, you know, I had the job and just to try to see what it would be like to be a poker pro. And I couldn't sit at the computer for any one stretch longer than two hours. Mm. I would need a 30 minute, a 45 minute break. So when I do play tournaments online, I can force myself because it's a tournament to, to sit and keep playing. You have to, right? Yeah, you have to, but when it's a cash game, I can't go beyond two hours and I'm done. Uh, i I don't know why i I love the game but not enough to to do it full full time you know so that's why this whole that or that's one of the reasons why i decided to uh kind of skip the pro route but still make money and turn poker into an income by going the teaching route um by doing the coaching the videos the podcasts and all that stuff
0: so what's your favorite part about that so you mentioned all the things that you're doing obviously you're playing some you're doing interviews, but you're, you know, you're hosting a podcast and you're doing the videos and you're writing, uh, you know, all the other things, just creating training content. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what is it about the business that you love?
1: Um, I wouldn't say there's anything about the business that I love. Like, okay. If I think about it in terms of just the business itself, yeah. there's no particular one aspect that I love about it. I don't know how to explain it. Like, um, the fact that I'm in a poker, that I have a poker business, it's not, ah, uh, I don't know how to explain it. Um, <laughs> I, I enjoy teaching and I love doing the podcast. That's my favorite part of what I'm doing, okay. but I don't, I kind of don't consider that as Okay. (laughs) It's kind of weird. It is part of the business, right? Because with the podcast, that's how I'm reaching out to people. That's how I'm giving people valuable content. My favorite part is just the fact that I'm helping other people when I receive their email comments and saying, Hey, sky, I really love your podcast. I have this question. Can you help me out with this as well? Or I release a webinar and they attend the webinar and they say really good things. This totally helped me. I love that aspect of it. But for just the fact that I'm in business for myself, I guess, just in general, I like the idea that I don't have a boss, that yeah. <laughs> I'm just my own boss, I can yeah. do what I want, and which, which kind of makes it tough. When you have a boss, especially a boss with a vision, they know what they want for the year and they give you tasks to do. When I'm the boss, I need to come up with my own tasks and I need to force myself to stay on task to get it done. You and I were talking earlier and you had said that you always try to start with the end in mind. Yeah. And in 2018, I'll be honest with you, I kind of lost sight of that I was doing a lot of hodgepodge, like doing this and doing that, doing that, with not an overall goal, you know, not an overarching goal over everything. So in 2019, I'm changing, I'm flipping the script, I'm changing that story. I'm going to have a bigger goal for my podcast and everything, and everything that I do with Smart Poker Study.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And most of my listeners are aware that I, you know, I just recently left the corporate world when independent consulting, and that's pretty much what I do is work with small businesses, work with nonprofits and say, okay, let's really be sure we're clear on what it is you're trying to do. Make sure that all of your, all of your strategies, all of your resources, all of your people are aligned to that, you know, to that vision and go after it. And I think that's, that sounds like that's where you're going. And I think uh, what I like about that in terms of the poker world is it parallels your poker game. What are you trying to do when you go to play poker, whether that's online or live? And is everything you're doing focusing on that goal? If, you're, if your goal is ultimately to have fun, that's one set of things. If your goal is ultimately to just to deliver a bad beat on somebody, then, yeah. you know, that's another thing, which is, it must be some people's goals. because so that's all the, that's all they're playing is your goal to have the highest ROI is your goal to get the maximum time worth. So you can just cash as many tournaments as possible. You know, knowing why you're playing and what your ultimate goal is, is huge. And I think for you and you know, you and your, your poker business, I think that's, that's exactly right too.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've always had a goal when it comes to playing poker. Every week I have something I'm trying to work on. My studies revolve around one specific topic. My poker play every play session, I try to focus on one thing that's related to what I just studied. And I do that for my poker play and my studies, but I haven't been doing that for smart poker studies. So like I said, I'm 2019 is going to be better. I'm going to have a better direction. That's cool. A better
0: overarching mission for 2019. When I think you'll what you'll find, I think what at least most people find, is that gives you more enjoyment too, because you you know a direction you're going, and when you make progress, when you you know increase listenership or sell a webinar or whatever it is that you do, uh, you can tie that right back to the goal. Say, yeah, yes. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm actually making progress. Versus, okay, you can you can enjoy that success sort of in itself, you know here. But when you say, no, this is actually part of the bigger story of what I'm trying to create. I think you'll enjoy that part of it too, because you can see tangible progress toward a known goal. So yes. I'm excited to hear, uh, hear the results of, of how that goes for you. Uh, yeah. if we, if you don't mind, we can shift gears a little bit. What I try to do with these interviews is, um, let people just get to know who the person is. That's always kind of the first part of it. And then if we can, let's shift a little bit into strategy stuff. Yeah. Um, we won't go super deep here at this point. Uh, maybe we'll have you back on later and kind of dig in deeper. That's kind of how I like to do things. Um, but I would just love to know with all the things that you're doing obviously your hands are everywhere and you're talking to a ton of people getting a bunch of feedback I just would love to know in general terms like what are those what are those biggest concepts that especially less experienced players are just continuing to struggle with or that you feel like you need to kind of keep keep reminding people of the of you know a certain topic or a certain concept You know, that people are just not grasping or they don't have the discipline to to do it. Or I think you know what I'm saying. Just sort of one of those things that boy, if people could just get this down, they could improve themselves, improve their results.
1: Yes, absolutely. So the number one thing would be everybody thinks they know what they're doing pre-flop. They think they're making good hand choices. They think they're Uh, whatever play they're making, limping, calling, three-betting, four-betting, with the hand that they choose, they think it's good, and they think their post-flop skills are lacking. Now, their post-flop skills might be lacking when it comes to uh, c-betting, bluffing, check-raising, all that kind of stuff. But everything starts pre-flop, right? Pre-flop is a street that every single hand hits. And pre-flop is going to affect everything else. Good choices pre-flop will set you up for post-flop success. Mm-hmm. Bad choices, post-flop failures, you know? And that's the one area that I, every, not everybody, many people think, hey, my pre-flop game is good. I know when I'm playing under the gun and the button and from the small blind. All I need help is with C betting and then facing barrel bets and stuff. Now, right. it's got to start pre-flop. You need to develop that solid pre-flop foundation so you can have a solid post-flop game.
0: Do Do you think that? Uh, can you? Uh, that is that's really good because I hear that a lot, and I think that's kind of where I'm at. Like, okay, I think I figured out pre-flop, but man, I'm just lost in sea betting and you know with board textures to to fire and that sort of thing. So I think I'm in that camp, but I'm at least I'm self-aware enough to know that okay, yeah, I have a default set of ranges, but they may not be good or not. So kind yeah. of always revisiting those. Uh, when you think about preflop mistakes there, I mean, can you categorize that a little bit more narrowly in terms of, you know, do you see people generally, they, they play too many hands? Uh, they don't value position enough. Uh, bet sizing is screwed up, whether that's opening or three betting. Are they limping too much? Kind of, you know, can you, I mean, obviously all of those things can be mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you, do you have a sense of like where, the bulk of that is? Like if you were to do a webinar on one of those specific topics or one I didn't name, you know, what would be the one that could impact the most people?
1: The one that would impact the most people is the importance of position, right? People come in, they limp under the gun, they limp in the early positions, they make a small bet in the MP, bets that are, and they're not thinking about the players yet to act around the table, right? When you make it a two big blind raise in the MP, you have three loose passive players directly behind you. They're going to be calling. You're going to be hitting the flop out of position because you made that small bet. So I think everybody knows. They just they know the basic idea position is important, right? But the decisions that they're making pre-flop don't align with that idea. They haven't internalized that position is important. That's why they call too much out of the blinds. That's why they open raise for too few chips. Um, In the earlier positions and middle positions when they have players who are totally willing to call So before you act you always want to think what situation am I going to see on the flop? So if I limp under the gun if I look and there's three loose passive players and there's a loose aggressive guy on the button My limp he's probably gonna come over the top of all of us limpers Mm -hmm. And so now I'm gonna have to pay more money to see the flop and if I do that he's gonna have position He's an aggressive guy with position on me and my crappy range, people don't think about the situation they're getting into. So I think those are the two most important things. If I had to do, uh, not if I had to, if I could, and actually it's a good idea. Thanks for giving me that idea. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> webinar on something that would probably be it. The importance of position and the things that you could do pre-flop to make it more likely that you're going to have position
0: uh,
1: post-flop. That yeah. would be it.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's just so good. And you see a lot of the, even if you don't ascribe to any of the ranges, you see the ranges that, you know, people will publish. <clears throat> and there's a reason why, you know, it might be 5% under the gun and 50% on the button. I mean, it's, yes. you know, there's a reason for that. And I think people don't really necessarily put that together. Like you said, they just know, okay, position's important, but what are those elements? You know, yeah. How many people are left to act behind you? What type of player, but even the, the idea of post-flop uh, you know it's so much more easy to extract value when you're in position if you have a made hand yes. or it's so much easier to control the size of the pot when you don't really have a big hand and, and all of those things that to factor in so even if i mean i think probability of winning is one thing but even even if the probability of winning is the same it's the value when you when you win and the value when you lose that can that can skew that as well so
1: absolutely good yeah good stuff <laughs> One thing to go along with that position and thinking about what's, what kind of uh, post-flop situation you're going to be in, a lot of people, um, they look at their cards, they see pocket aces, for example. Great, this is a hand I can raise, a hand I can three-bet, right? right. So somebody opens the pot ahead of them. They're on the button with aces. Three-bet time, let's do it, right? Um, uh, somebody opens the pot. They're on the button with jack-ten suited. Great, I can make this call, right? What they don't think about is they're making a play right now against this player so this under the gun player just raised i have aces before you think about i have aces i should raise who made the open raise? what kind of player is he how is he going to respond to my three bet is he folding every single better hand or is he going to call if i just call is that button player i'm sorry that big blind player he's so loose aggressive is he going to think it's a good opportunity to squeeze should i just call here give him the squeeze so i can come over with the four bet you know i'm so people aren't even if they are thinking, I have a great hand, it's a good one to raise or a good one to call, what is the best play against this open raiser right now? Think about who you are playing against because, um, you know, the Chicago Bears, when they go to, a, a, you know, they play their next Sunday game, right? They're not playing um, a blank team, right? They're playing... Well, whoever they're playing, I don't know who they're playing this next Sunday, but they're playing a specific opponent. They make a game plan. They know what they're going to do against this opponent. They know who the quarterback is. They know who the safeties are. They make their plays based on who they're up against. So we should do more of that in poker.
0: That that's a really really good analogy. I think that's that's a great. I mean, I'm I'm a little disappointed as a guy from Minnesota that you mentioned the Bears who just want to see North. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, that's, that's, you had an opportunity to really kind of. you know, was just the first the first name <laughs> the pop in my head. Yeah, you really had an opportunity there to make some good inroads with our. minnesota <laughs> I did we kind of blew that, but no, that's a phenomenal example. I mean, that, that really is. I mean, I don't think about it like that. Like, well, if I was playing, you know, my daughter in tennis, or if I was playing somebody else in tennis, I would have a different strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's a very good, very good thought. So let's, if you don't mind, I want to dig in a little bit deeper in kind of the ACEs thing. Let's, um, cause one of the things that we have people on here quite a bit and we say, and they, they tell us, well, it depends, um, you know, what you should do in that situation. It depends. Uh, and what I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm a kind of guy, I'm a five on the Enneagram, if you're familiar with that at all. But I always ask the next question, I'm like, what's the next question? Okay. Depends on what, then you mentioned a few of those things, but let's just, let's just dig into it with the, the last few minutes we have left. Um, pocket aces on the button against the person who opens an early position. Um, tell me more. Uh, so let's say it's, you know, somebody opens an early position, it folds around to us. We have pocket aces on the button. And now um, let's just for, for ease, let's disregard the small blind. Let's just say we know they're going to fold everything because they're super tight. Uh, but the dynamics of the person, the big blind and the under the gun razor, tell me a little bit more about what sort of person they would need to be for you to either uh, call behind or to raise.
1: Yeah, definitely. So if those are your two options, well, you're not going to fold aces. Of course, (laughs) those are your two options. You're
0: not not in the bubble of a qualifier where you have twice the average stack. Let's assume Mm -hmm. you want to play the aces.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So if I call right now, so we'll, we'll leave the raising off to the side. If I call right now, what is that big blind player going to do? Um, So two things. The first thing I do is I think about the under the gun player. What kind of player are they? Are they raising a really wide range and they're going to fold a lot of their hands against Mm -hmm. my aces? If I want that to happen, then great. I can go ahead and raise, right? Um, But if they're the kind of player that opens a wide range, but calls a lot, and you get that a lot in live play and a lot at the micro and low stakes that I play poker at, um, you get a lot of guys who will open crazy big ranges under the gun, but they don't want to fold to a three bet. So I should probably raise right now to isolate this one player with my pocket aces. And if they're willing to call with the king 10 suited with pocket sevens versus 12 or 15 big blinds, I'm probably better off making it that bigger bet with such a strong hand, right? Um, So that's the first thing you want to consider the opponent that you're up against right now. The one that you know is already in the pot and think about what is the best play with my current hand. The next consideration would be that big blind player. So if the big blind player is going to call behind most of the time, do I really want to go three ways and give the big blind player a good pl- good price to call with anything? Probably not. I s- probably still want to make it a three bet. If he calls, great. He calls, but it's going to be 12 or 13 to right. big blinds. He's going to give me extra value with this call. But if I think he's super aggressive and if I know he's a squeezer, I know he loves to bluff. Um, uh, he, he sees every squeeze opportunity as a good Uh, spot to pick up the pot, Uh, then I might call, let him squeeze. So I come back over the top. Or let's say I think that if he squeezes, the under the gun's going to fold. That's awesome. He squeezes with a weak hand. I just call with my pocket aces after under the gun folds. So there's so many things to think about. Like you're right. When, when players say, what should I do here with pocket aces? Well, it depends. And right. it does depend on all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. But you've got to start somewhere and always start with the hand that you're holding and the player that you're up against. And then kind of right. think about what is the best play? What's the best play for me to make money right here? Or earn the pot. If I have Jack 10 offsuit, is this a good chance to bluff? It might be. It might not be. Um, so you got to determine first by looking at the player in your hand.
0: And so that, that's, thank you. That's, that's great. And so one of the things that I've, I've tried to talk about, and I, I'm not sure how to articulate this very well, I've kind of been working on language for this is when you have those competing, um, I guess, competing factors. So uh, let's say, yeah, you've got aces, the under the gun raises, and they're the kind of person that's going to call your three bet with King 10. Uh, so you're, that makes you more prone to raise, to three bet. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you say, well, what about the, the big blind player? Let's say he's the kind of player that's more prone to a squeeze here because they know the under the gun players, you know, opening wide, and you're just calling, so you kind of have a capped range. They think so. In that case, if you think that big blind is more aggressive and they're looking for a spot to squeeze, especially if they have like a you know 15 big blind stack or something like that, um, so that factor would say now I'm more I have a tendency to more I'm you know I'm more geared toward just calling. So I've got one factor that says, boy, this player makes me more geared toward just uh, raising. And this factor makes me more geared toward calling. At the end of the day, what I've got to do is I've got to figure out, well, how much weight do I give each of those? Like, and maybe this is just one specific example, but it, it, it occurs all the time where you say, well, this makes me more willing to bet and this makes me more willing to call. Like, how do you kind of weigh those things in? And maybe this is just too specific of a case, but it's, it's a case that comes up all the time. Mm-hmm. How do you sort kind of weed through that and say, well, which action should I do then?
1: I think you, what you need to do is kind of, look at the situation and look at your two options, raising or calling. What am I going to see on the flop? Like I had talked about earlier, think about the flop situation you're going to put yourself in. If you just call right now on the button with the pocket aces, the big blind might squeeze, but he might also call. Right. So you have the potential of going to the flop with only nine big blinds in the pot against two other players. You have aces, so things are looking good. But if you raise and, um, um, uh, most likely the big blind calls, but you think the other gun is going to call. You could make it nine big blinds under the gun calls nine big blinds. Now you're in position against one other person on the flop in an 18 big blind pot or more with, if it's a tournament right. with blinds and anties, you know, but right. so what situation do you want to see? Which situation would you prefer on the flop? And that's the one I would go with. And so, like you said, there's a lot of factors
0: that go into right. that just think about what's the most likely flop outcome. Bam. That's what I'm going to choose. So, so part of it though, I mean, if it is, is how good of a chance do we think there is for the big blind to squeeze there. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose it's, you know, yeah, there's a chance he could squeeze, but maybe there's a good, a better chance that he's not going to. So then you have to kind of face what's the flop. But I suppose if you think there's a 90% chance he's going to squeeze, then it's you go uh, with it's, the call. So it's sort of the waiting sort of thing of, well, how likely is each of those outcomes? And then, mm-hmm frankly, I suppose it's how much can I live with if I just call and if he chooses just to call or folds, Yeah, you know, how unhappy am I with that sort of outcome?
1: Definitely. And let's just make one small change. You said if the small blind is nitty, we know he's going to fold. What if yeah. he's just your average player, right? right. You call, small blind's going to call. Yeah, now four now ways. The big blind, yeah, exactly. Big blind has yeah. a great price on seven deuce suited or whatever yeah. he has. He's going to call four ways with pocket aces. You have, um, you are going to be ahead in equity with your pocket aces. You're more likely to win, right? Than, than the other but, players. But against three players with pocket aces, I can't remember exactly. I think but you're
0: actually not a favorite, I think, against three random no, hands.
1: No, you okay. are a favorite. You're still you a favorite. Still
0: favorite? Okay. okay. Yeah.
1: But if you're up against one other player, you could be like an 88% favorite. <laughs> right. You know, right. against three yeah. other players, I can't remember the percentage. It might be like 55, 54%. Yeah. Which is, I mean, yeah, sure, I have 54% now of beating these other players, but because I just called, if four players put in three big blinds each, there's 12 big blinds in the pot. Yep. If I three bet to nine big blinds, now we have 18 big blinds, and I'll, I'm only against one player, I have a better chance of winning. So I've heard people say with aces, you always have a better chance to win, so try to get as much money as, money, as many players in. Mm-hmm. No, no. Forget the players. Yeah. Get as much money against one opponent as possible.
0: Well, and I think especially if you're deep stack, you have such negative implied odds with aces there when you're playing three or four ways. Yeah. You know, the guy with 8-7 sued and the flop comes king 8-7. You just think you're golden and you end up losing your entire stack versus, you know, nobody hits and you see bet and you win that small pot. Yeah. You know, the implied odds are, are small, but the negative implied odds are are huge. And yeah, so I definitely. think that's where the the hand equity thing is, as you well know. I mean, it, that says, okay, what are my odds of winning if – we just get it all in pre-flop, and we see all five cards. But the reality is in that spot playing four ways, you're not getting it all in. You're going to actually see a flop, and then you have to react. And people aren't going to pay you off if they don't hit in a big way, and you're going to pay them off if they do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep, you're right about that, that negative implied odds. And and the reverse of that is that player who opened under the gun with eight, seven suited, he has great odds with you both at 100 big blinds. Yeah. He just needs to hit something good. If he flops, absolutely nothing, easy check fold on that yep. board. yep. yep.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, let's, let's wrap it up. I, want, I mean, I can talk to you for hours and hours, but I do, I, I do want to respect your time, at least somewhat. So uh, let's, let's close off. Just tell a little bit more about the things that you're doing. If there's anything that you want to promote, how do people find you, all of that kind of jazz, man. Here's, here's your, your platform.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Well, um, I created a special gift for your listeners. If they what? go to smart, yeah, if they go to smartpokerstudy.com slash recpoker, Just very simple, smartpokerstudy.com slash recpoker. They can get a five-part e-course. And what it is, it's a five-part leak plugging e-course. So they're going to get emails from me, one every three days, to give them a little bit of time to digest and learn from the first email before they get the second, before they get the third, right? The first email is going to cover leak plugging strategy, like my basic tips on how to plug your leaks. Now, when you plug leaks, well, Leaks first off, they are, they're not just a lack of skills, right? If you don't know how to three bet, that's not a leak. What a leak is, is an, an action that we continually make that costs us money. So maybe we three bet bluff way too often and mm-hmm. you lose a ton of money, that is a leak. What if you limp all the time and you lose money because you're limping and calling and seeing flops, that is a leak right there, right? So this leak plugging process in the first email will help you plug your own leaks. And now the second email is about acting without thinking. So I help you. I give you all the strategies that you need to Hmm. begin acting with purpose. You know, playing your session with purpose. But then also for me and online players and for live players, before you throw out the chips, before you click the call button or the raise button, think before you act. And I give you some strategies for that. The third part is tilting off chips, the leak of tilting off chips. Too many people and I'm, I'm guilty of it. I <laughs> tilt all the time and I lose too many chips due to it. But I'm constantly working on it. And in this email, I'll give everybody um, the strategies that I use to work on it. The fourth one is about inefficient bluff bet sizing. So I'll help you do your post flop bluff bets or help you make better sizes with your post flop bluff bets. And the fifth one is about staying on unprofitable tables. Now, for mm. tournament players, you don't, you can't really control it, of course. Right. But for anybody who plays live cash games or online cash games, you sat at this table. You chose to sit here. You mm-hmm. chose a seat, or you chose to sit in this seat with three loose, aggressive players on your left. The fact that they're making poker difficult on you is your own damn fault. <laughs> so, you know, this—the right. last email, yeah—the last email will help you get up from those tables and find a better seat. Um, to play at. So all they have to do is go to smartpokerstudy.com slash poker, and they can sign up to get that five-party course.
0: Oh, that's fantastic, dude. That's that's absolutely fantastic. And I think even the, you know, we have, obviously, I'm in a minority that I only play tournaments. We have a ton of people that listen that are always asking, hey, can you do more stuff on cash? Can you do more stuff on PLO or those sorts of things? So we have our listenership, a lot of cash players. So I think even that last one will be valuable. But even for tournament players, even though it might not be directly applicable as far as changing tables, just that awareness that uh, that continual awareness that who is at your table matters.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think
0: well, thanks for doing that. I had no idea that's a fantastically generous offer. I'll make sure that we put that in our show notes and let people know about that deal too. Cool. But Thank you, uh, so, so we'll get people to sign up for that, get the e-course uh, five parts. And then also just generally to connect with you, smartstudypoker.com. We'll oh, um, flip that smartpokerstudy.com. What did, I, what did I say? Smart study poker. What did I say? Yeah. Oh, but that's okay. Yeah. Smart study poker. No, we want smart poker study. That's yeah, what we, we do. We want want smart poker, study. poker yes, study. I was just testing you to see if you knew. Yeah. You oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's and it's um,
1: <laughs> anywhere, Twitter, YouTube, uh, uh, Facebook, Instagram, it's everything is smart poker study.
0: Awesome. And then uh, your YouTube, like how, how often are you putting out content out there? I know that you got some pretty cool dynamic videos out there.
1: Yeah. Right now it's every single Tuesday and occasionally I'll out another one here and there, but at a minimum, every Tuesday, 9 a.m. Which it's 9 a.m. right now as we're recording this. Yeah. Um, the video this week is actually coming out at 10 a.m. because I'm, I'm giving a little time for this interview that we're doing. You know.
0: Cool. So at 10 a.m. the new video, but every week 9 a.m. Okay, so you guys, so smartpokerstudy.com/rec poker sign up, YouTube, Twitter. You have anything going on on Facebook at all or anywhere else? Um, I have a Facebook discussion group. If they go to
1: okay. smartpokerstudy.com slash discuss, it'll take okay. them to that Facebook group that they can sign up. Um, and I have a, a Facebook page, but I don't really do anything with it. It's yeah. more like that discussion group is where I'm at.
0: Okay. And then, then books. So are, mm-hmm. where are your books available? I suppose through smartpokerstudy.com. You can read them there. But uh, just quick plug on your books. I know two of them, How to Study Poker and Preflop Online Poker.
1: Yep. Uh, you mentioned that so, you
0: had a third one though too.
1: Yeah. I have how to study poker volume one and a volume two. So uh, okay. yeah, volume one teaches all the different, uh, uh, study strategies, not only off the fell, but on the felt study strategies, um, you know, for practicing your game as you play. So volume one teaches that volume two actually takes you through four weeks of study that I did utilizing everything I taught in volume uh, one. Very cool. So, Yeah, that's what volume two is. And then the last book was pre-flop online poker, all about online. I'm sorry, all about the pre-flop game, um, developing ranges, understanding your opponents, three betting, playing out of blinds, all that stuff, pre-flop. That's the book for
0: it. Love it. Well, great stuff, Uh, man. Just thanks for coming on the show. Any, uh, I guess any last minute uh, sage advice or uh, anything you want to share with our uh, rec poker audience? Just pay attention to
1: who you are playing against in every single hand. And pre-flop really does set you up for post-flop success or failure. That's what you got to focus on. If your pre-flop game is solid, then yeah, have at it. Do all the post-flop studies you
0: want, all the post-flop work you want. But make sure that pre-flop game is solid. All right, Sky Matsuhashi, thank you so much. And we'll be in touch for uh, maybe future endeavors.
1: Perfect. Thank you, Steve. Take care.
0: All right. All right, well, that's it for today. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, hope you enjoyed that interview with Sky. There'll be plenty more from him uh, going forward. Just a reminder, I also appeared as a guest on his podcast. So go to the Smart Poker Study podcast. Go to the smartpokerstudy.com. And also make sure you take advantage of that free information, uh, the five ways to, uh, I guess, slow down or prevent the leaks in our game. You can just go to smartpokerstudy.com slash and uh, sign up there, and you'll get uh, get like five different emails, each with uh, I guess advice on how to uh, slow down or stop the leaks that many of us have in our game. So that was great, very generous of Sky to put that out there for our listeners. So with that, uh, feel free to reach out, Steve, at RecPokerTraining.com. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, whatever, we're on Facebook, Twitter, uh, like, subscribe, all that stuff on YouTube and iTunes, uh, greatly appreciated If you want to support what we're doing, uh, Patreon.com RecPoker for as little as a dollar a month, uh, you can say, hey, man, keep it up, way to go, appreciate you, uh, and that means the world to me. So with that i hope you all have a great merry christmas a happy new year holidays celebrating if you're playing good luck on the felt if you're not good luck off the felt with family and friends and we will chat with you next week take care